So just to introduce the next session in the programme, it's uh, the benign anus, what's new, top tips, how to avoid trouble. Uh, I'm Ailsa Hart, consultant gastroenterologist here at St Mark's, and it gives me great pleasure to be co-chairing this with Phil Tozer, who's just on the, uh, the right here. Despite his incredible youthful looks, Phil is actually, uh, he's got a wealth of experience already in uh, managing perianal fistulas and indeed in research uh, in this field. So how we're going to divide this session up, we're going to talk about uh, the medical management of perianal Crohn's disease, and we're very honoured once again to have Sue Ung, our visiting professor, to do this. Mr Toes will then, will then talk about the surgical management of perianal Crohn's, we'll then have some cases to really drill down on Crohn's patients. We'll then change tack slightly and go to benign um, uh, anal fistulas without Crohn's, which Phil will talk about, and then Carolyn Vasey will talk about rectovaginal fistulae, and then some more cases at the end. So, Phil, if you'd like to introduce the panel, just so that you know as the audience who you can ask your questions to. Yeah, we've got a multidisciplinary team, which is, of course, exactly how Crohn's and non-Crohn's anal fistulae are managed. We've got Phil Lung at the end, who is one of our um, excellent <coughs> GI radiologists, with whom we do an awful lot of the fistula work. Carolyn Vasey, who you're going to hear from in a moment, um, who has a lot of areas of real expertise, but one of them is rectovaginal fistula. Sue Clark, who just knows everything about everything. Uh, Asha Sanofti, uh, who we've just heard from, and she humbly suggests that it talks about pyelonidal disease, but actually she's got a very big and experienced practice in perianal fistula as well. And Sue Ung, who we've all heard from yesterday, and who's actually some of the research that Sue did was led on to some of the research that I did in the fistula research unit here once it got going. So she's really experienced in perianal disease as well. Thanks, Phil. So we want to make it really interactive again, so get your questions ready. Um, we're very uh, keen to get questions from the audience. So a uh, great pleasure to welcome Sue Ong now. Thanks very much, Sue. Thanks, Elsa. So as I said yesterday, actually in Hong Kong, 40% of our young men with Crohn's disease presents with perianal fistula, and majority have just isolated complex fistula. So it's a real sort of problem. Um, so what I'll do is go through in terms of um, what do we think our target really is when we treat this uh, condition. And we now know that the treat-to-target concept really has applied to Crohn's disease. And I think for us, we really need to think about what is it we're trying to achieve there. I think for perianal Crohn's disease, really, we want to control sepsis, but it may not necessarily be just to relieve symptoms. We want to preserve sphincter function, but importantly, we move into an era now where we really want to induce and I think maintain fistula closure as long as as much as we can. So this, in fact, is work from Elsa and Phil and others. I think this is very important work looking at how we can develop a core outcome set for fistulizing perineal Crohn's disease. This was never around before for years. We have no idea what our targets are. And you now know it's all related to patient and also to clinicians. So both are just as important. So quality of life, incontinence, a combined score, and of course, recurrence of the condition surgery and fecal diversion. So these are endpoints that we need to explore in the future. <coughs> the first lesson is that for Crohn's fistula, perianal disease, steroids and 5-ASA has no role at all, unless you're using it to treat concurrent luminal Crohn's disease. So this is important. With someone with isolated perianal Crohn's disease, there's no role for these drugs. If someone has proctitis, which is rectal inflammation, I think we now know that these are poor prognostic features. If someone has severe rectal inflammation, you need to treat them very aggressively. And I think we have very strong recommendation and high-quality evidence from the guidelines to show that we need to assess that with EUA or even a flexible sigmoidoscopy and treat it appropriately. 
Now, we have young antibiotics for many years. In fact, if you look at all the clinical studies from here, majority, the earlier works are open label, some are RCTs, and are quite small numbers. From some of these, we now know that they can reduce discharge, they improve the symptoms, but <clears throat> most patients actually relapse when you stop the treatment. And of course, for example, for metronidazole, we know that they have long-term side effects, so for short-term treatment, they may be beneficial. Are there any RCTs? This is one from almost 10 years ago now, a small RCT comparing antibiotics versus placebo for perinal Crohn's disease. And you could see, actually, that pneumonically, when you give antibiotics ciprofloxacin or metronidazole, the numbers that actually have remission or fistulas of improvement is higher, but there's no significant difference. For those who had combination of cipro and metronidazole, they had a better sort of response. If you think about the immunomodulators, in fact, most studies have looked at them as secondary endpoints. In the meta-analysis, actually, they lead to improvement in only about 50% of these subjects, but no real fistula closure. And this is the same for other immunomodulators, such as tacrolimus. So about half of them actually have improvement in their fistula with reduced drainage. But do they close the fistula? I don't think we have any data to show that. Now, for thalidomide, actually at St. Mark's when it was there, we did some studies looking at patients who had actually failed anti-TNF therapy. We now know that this drug actually about three-quarters in a small cohort may actually close the fistula. But we also know that thalidomide has long-term side effects like peripheral neuropathy, which may limit the long-term use. But in a small cohort, they may have some benefit. Clearly, what has changed the treatment of perinal Crohn's disease are, I think, the biological agents. The first slide currently remains the anti-TNF, and I'll show you a little bit of data on some of the newer agents, such as the anti-integrin and anti-IL-23. Now, if you look at the main guidelines, what they tell us is that anti-TNF should actually be started, as first line, after abscess has been treated with antibiotics and possible drainage. So clear sepsis and then start the anti-TNF therapy. I mean, this is strong recommendation. In fact, the first study was many, many years ago. The Axon study showed us that if you treat patients with pranophysilis, actually 55% in the short term at three months will actually have fistula closure. If you stop, what happens? 90% relapse. And in the Axon 2 study, when they continue the infliximab for these cohorts, at about one year, about one-third still achieve fistula healing. And importantly, <coughs> there's reduced hospitalization and also reduced surgical episodes. So it is an effective drug, at least when you continue the drug. What about other anti-TNF? Well, in some of the secondary sort of um, endpoint analysis, I can say that here's one. In this cohort, when they continue adalimumab for up to two years, actually 90% still achieve facility healing up to two years. So these two drugs are now the cornerstone of perianal Crohn's treatment. If you look across all these three drugs, what are the rates that you can see? At one year, still about approximately one-third will still maintain fistula healing, although we don't have any head-to-head -head comparison. Now, what if someone actually failed infliximab who had perinal Crohn's disease? In a sub-analysis here, they showed that there may be still a small role if you change it to a second anti-TNF. Actually, about one-quarter may actually gain benefit if they failed the first anti-TNF. Should we combine 
antibiotics with anti-TNF. Will that lead to better response? You can see in this study from the Netherlands, they found that when you combine adalimumab with a ciprofloxacin, which is the um, purple bar, there was actually higher sort of um, fistula closure and response rate. So in this study, uh, RCT, they find that when you give an anti-TNF with ciprofloxacin at the beginning of treatment, it was better to just giving an anti-TNF treatment alone for fistula closure. So we found that actually when we look at the St. Mark's cohort several years ago, this is an important endpoint. Anti-TNF actually improved the quality of life with patients with perinal Crohn's disease. For two of these anti-TNF, it's the same. Importantly, those who actually achieve fistula healing have better quality of life, which may not be so surprising, but nonetheless important. So coming to this combination, I think this is where the future is now. Does combined medical therapy and surgical therapy lead to better outcome? The answer is clearly yes, and we'll hear more later. If you look at this study from Miguel Ruggiero, what they found is that in subjects who had infliximab alone, the blue bar, here the green bar, infliximab and EUA, which is they have EUA and CTOM before they receive anti-TNF, you can see higher fistula response and lower fistula um, recurrence as well. Now, here is a meta-analysis from Nuafu Hassan where she looked at all the studies who combine surgical and medical therapy, and the results of the meta-analysis is quite clear, really. You can see that this is the combined therapy good. The response and the remission rate is clearly higher than when you have the single therapy, which is just the medical therapy group alone. So I think this is the direction we are moving. Now, but are there any head-to-head comparison in terms of what we should be doing for this patient? So these are a randomized controlled trial, a multimodal treatment of perinophysilis. They publish their sort of um, protocol using CETON versus anti-DNF versus advanced plasty. So we will await this study. In fact, they have three arms in this study. For all patients with high perinal Crohn's disease, CETON, antibiotics, and then they give an immunomodulator. They then randomize patients to have chronic CETON treatment anti-TNF or advanced plasty, and then stop treatment after one year and the other group follow up. So with this study, hopefully it will give us more guidance on how we should manage some of these um, subjects. Now we know that therapeutic drug monitoring is important in luminal Crohn's disease. There are two studies to tell us that if you can achieve a higher infliximab level when you treat patients with perinal Crohn's disease, it may be beneficial. This is one here. And the second one, whereby if you can achieve a therapeutic drug level of more than 10, actually you can have better fistula closure and fistula healing rate. So in some centres, they may actually check the level and aim for a higher level to achieve fistula healing. So what are the outcomes with other non-TNF biologics? Actually, there are two. So with the Vidilizam study, what this study is an extension from Journey 2. What they show is actually in the Vidilizumab group, there was higher response. But it's important that prior failure of antibiotic therapy, interestingly, was a negative predictor of fistula closure. And this cohort, the trough level of vedilizumab actually did not affect fistula closure. Now, when you compare this chart, they look at infliximab and vedilizumab for perinal Crohn's disease. What you can see is that patients treated with infliximab were more likely to have fistula closure than vedilizumab. And infliximab had a shorter time to closure. may not be surprising because we know that vedilizumab takes a little bit longer, more than three months to work. So perhaps infliximab, if you want to achieve a quicker response and remission for fistula closure, this might be the drug I mean to use. 
but here in patients with active perineal Crohn's disease, about a quarter actually can be successful treated with vedilizumab. And in, in active perineal Crohn's disease, about a third actually would sort of um, recur. For istiganumab, this is the study from the French group. It's a multi-center sort of observational study. Essentially, I think the bottom line is that when you actually treat patients with active perineal Crohn's disease with istiganumab, over one-third actually may have a success in terms of facilitate closure. But nonetheless, there's still a small proportion that will still need surgical therapy. So... Importantly, we now know that when you use drugs, we need to monitor for this sort of fistula closure. So several years ago, when we were in St. Mark's with um, Aaron and sort of, um, David, we actually looked at how we're going to monitor this. And we now know that even when you treat patients with biological drugs, actually the radiological healing is very different for every single patient. This is a patient who you can see before anti-TNF therapy had a transfinger fistula with supralobator extension. And despite closure of the external opening after treatment of anti-TNF, you can see 34 weeks after treatment, there's still a high signal tract of remain. So this patient clearly has not achieved radiological healing. In comparison, another patient who had transfinger fistula with three extensions, and after 52 weeks, although there's still a little bit of signal, you can see that the healing is actually a little bit more substantial than the previous patient. But these all heal at different rates, between six months up to one year. And together with sort of a few tozer, a subsequent work have shown that, in fact, radiological healing lag behind clinical healing by a median of 12 months, so at least one year. If you stop treatment too early or you withhold, you're going to see that this undoubtedly is going to recur. And all patients maintain healing whilst they're on treatment. But can we stop anti-TNF if someone has perineal Crohn's disease? Now, in the STORY study, which is for luminal Crohn's disease, they found that if you stop treatment, about 40% will relapse actually after one year. In the perianal Crohn's disease cohort, you can see that recent work have shown more than half will also relapse after you stop the anti-TNF drug. And the use of immunosuppressive drug um, was uh, associated with decreased risk of relapse in this sort of cohort. But importantly, look, actually when you stop, actually 79% actually need a new surgical drainage for the perianal Crohn's disease. This is quite, I mean, alarming. But when you retreat the patients again, majority will actually um, achieve remission again. But for how long? I think we don't know. And this is the cohort that we produced from uh, Hong Kong. We found exactly similar sort of findings, actually. More than 50% actually will relapse when you stop anti-TNF, and the majority will regain. But very interestingly, about one-third who actually has healing on the MRI, after you stop, they will have relapse again. So I think the summary clearly is that we need a diagnostic imaging tool, whether it's MRI with EUA endoscopy. Clearing of sepsis is important. Treat the proctitis aggressively. Maybe antibacterial treatment in the short term. But the first line now is a combination of anti-TNF and immunomodulator. And we now know we may be able to optimize the anti-TNF dose and consider CETON. But importantly, if there's no improvement, do not hesitate to add in a surgical sort of, um, intervention arm to improve outcome. So clearly, the therapeutic success is based on a very multidisciplinary team, as we can see I mean, here. 
as just any malignant disease, I think the benign anus also relies on the teamwork. We are very fortunate in Hong Kong, we have Simon Ng and Tony Mack and Kei Futuba, who are actually both um, UK trained physicians. But clearly, you can see that this is what you know, a perianal Crohn's disease management is, a multidisciplinary effort. Thank you very much.